2: On our last episode, we detailed all the factors that went into the O4's decision to return and pursue back-to-back glory, while also acknowledging some of the challenges the coaches tried to anticipate and prepare for. Now, it was time to put it to the test. This is MBK goes B2B episode 5: Under Pressure. As the 0607 season began, the number one team in the nation demolished a handful of overmatched squads, winning its first 6 games by an average of 40 points. This built up to a Thanksgiving showdown with 12th-ranked Kansas in Las Vegas. Just as he had done the year before at the MSG tournament, junior Torian Green starred with a game-high 25 points, leading a comeback to forced overtime, where Kansas ultimately prevailed 82-80. to Green acknowledged the disappointment the guys felt after dropping their first game of the year.
3: I think we were all hurt that game because Kansas was really good that year. They had Julian Wright. Uh, Darrell Arthur, they had Sharon Collins, Mario Chalmers, uh, you know, they had a good they had Rush, Brandon Rush, they had a real good team and we were in Vegas and we were um, at that little, I think, I forgot what the little Vegas tournament was called, but we were there and we were really hyped and amped about that game because, you know, they had talent, you know, they had a a star-studded class and, you know, we were the the defending champ. So, you know, it was, a, it was a highly anticipated game. And we ended up losing that game, but, and we were hurt, man. I, I know I was hurt because, you know, I really wanted to win that game and they were talking a little noise. But, you know, I feel that was one of the games where, you know, we were hurt, but we kind of grew from it. We didn't, you know, let it really dwell on us, But I remember that game, guys were
2: hurt. As senior Lee Humphrey remembers it, part of that emotion stemmed from the early end to a nearly impossible dream.
4: Well, we hadn't lost in a long time before the SEC tournament from the previous year. I think all of us probably a little bit wanted to to win every game, (laughs) to be the team that could win every game. Uh, It's pretty naive. I mean, we weren't going to do that. Kind of glad we lost early so we could get that out of the back of our head. (laughs) Right.
2: But it wasn't just Kansas that gave Florida all they could handle, as that target on their backs ensured they took heat every single time they stepped on the court.
3: Well, like I said, we got everybody's best shot. I I mean, everybody everybody from the first preseason game to our last game we got everybody's best shot like all the arenas were sold out like the atmosphere was just crazy like even our home games at the old dome like people were camping out three days before like we was like when we played kentucky they would camp out a week before Mm -hmm. just so they could get in the student section it was crazy and we would bring them pizza and all that stuff, like coaches, like, you know, bringing of food, all the fans. So that's why they love us so much, because we appreciated the fans and all that. But every game was difficult, and I feel like there was, like, new blood out there. Like, especially everybody was talking about Ohio State. Mm-hmm. You know, we were ready for that game when they came to games. But I think that was Greg Oda's first game back from – or, like, second or third game back from his uh, broken hand injury. And – we kicked their ass right by, by 24. Mm-hmm. That, was a, that was a fun game that we were really looking forward to. You know, it was just the only difference, I think, that second run was we got everybody's best shot.
2: It takes a certain kind of gumption to truly embrace that kind of pressure every night. And to the voice of the Gators' Mick Hubert, it was a key feature this group possessed.
1: They almost thrived on that. It was never, in my opinion, and, and, you know, not being a guy who suited up at all. So I, I, I speak from a distance in this regard. But in my opinion, it was never a burden on them. They never looked at that as a burden. It was almost like, hey, this is, this is who we are. And, and I mean, come on. I remember a game in particular. It was uh, right before Christmas when Ohio State came into the O'Connell Center. You know, you think, oh, here comes Ohio State again now, you know. And uh, they had Greg Oden. You know, they had some good players and we just we just waxed them, beat them like 86 to 60. And uh, that,
2: that was that was going to be kind of standard fare. That Ohio State game was an early highlight of the college basketball season, pitting five future lottery picks against each other in what was widely predicted to be a preview of a tournament matchup. Spoiler alert, it was. The late December game drew scores of students back to Gainesville over the holiday break to witness the battle with Torian Green once again leading the way with 24 points. As for freshman phenom Greg Oden, he was held to just seven points and six rebounds, which junior Joe Kim Noah attributed to a combination of his injury and inexperience.
5: Uh, I remember Oden playing with his left hand, and I was like, oh, this guy is a beast, you know? And, I mean, shout out Greg Oden, Mike Conley, those guys, Cook, those guys, they had a squad, and... They were young. Thank God. <laughs> you know, we were, thank God they were young because they had they really were something else. But, um, you know, we had that we had we, we had that experience and, you know, it, it helped.
2: Just as they had during their first championship run, the Gators were defined by a team first mentality that extended from the 04s all the way down the bench, including individuals like sophomore reserve guard Walter Hodge. Walter Hodge was just, he was such an inspiration that
5: that year I remember him in one moment he got hit by a screen and he went fly cuz he's a, he's a small guy and he flew into it like he got he got cracked pretty hard like didn't hear we didn't call out like the big man is supposed to call out when the pick when the pick comes I forgot what the sign was but I guess he didn't hear it cuz it was just that loud in the Odom dome or something he gets hit by a screen and goes flying, gets up, runs down, and fouls the big man who's about to get a, a layup. From the floor. Wow. Sprinted his ass into the paint and gave the hard foul. And I remember watching that. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this. But it just that was the kind of savagery. Like, you don't, you don't even. I mean, it's like a play that, that happened 15 years ago, nobody will remember that, but it was like. Things like, little things like that, that just gave us confidence. That was the kind,
2: that was how competitive we were, just young, young dogs. The O 4s obviously loved hooping and the camaraderie that came from being on the court together. But as junior Corey Brewer remembers, the connection to their fellow athletes and even the general student body is what made them a group of Gators unlike any other. Uh, it was Titlesville, man. It was the best. Like,
0: I think people who went to Florida at that time, they had the time of their lives. Like, I don't think there was no campus like our campus during, during that time. Just cause we were winning, man. Our gymnastics was good. Our girls' volleyball team, soccer teams were good. I think the baseball team was even good. Like, everybody was good. So if you went to school in Florida, you, you had a blast.
5: You know, the, the beauty of it was that a lot in a lot of schools, a lot of the sports don't get along with each other because there's because of the competitive thing and just getting, trying to get the most love in the school and who got the love and this and that. And that was never, that was never the energy at UF. You know, we were all supporting each other. We all wanted everybody to do well. And, you know, I think that when we won the basketball championship, it was something that had never been done before. So it it just gave a lot of, it gave hope. Gave a lot of hope, and um, I, I thought we rep- we really represented the school really well. You know, like I thought we like we were accessible. Like we were out all the time. We were always having fun with the students. It it wasn't like that was the vibe. Like there was a real beautiful energy on campus that you know. It's like to this day when people come up to me and say, you know, '06, I was on campus.' You know, it was just. I can see, I can feel that it's all about how you make people feel and how it made you feel. Right. So it was like those, those feelings are just, you know, feelings that you, you just, you don't forget that. So shout out to all the athletes, the UF athletes during that time, because I mean, there was, there was never any jealousy, animosity. It was always about, you know, supporting and and showing love. And that, that, to me, that's, You hear about a lot of athletes from other schools telling me that, you know, that that was not the vibe at all. Like, we didn't get along at all. There was never any of that. It was always supportive.
2: Just because everyone got along doesn't mean there wasn't some friendly competition, especially with the other big men on campus. As junior Al Horford remembers it, the football-basketball battles and bowling were the stuff of legend. Uh, It was a lot of fun.
6: You know, we actually... Uh, would go bowling that last year that we were there in school, we would go bowling with a few of the football guys, uh, Brandon Siler, and um, a few of the DNs and the linebackers, the four of us, uh, the old fours. And we would go to, I don't know how it came about, but we ended up going to a bowling place that they had. Um, wings were 25 cents <laughs> and pitchers of beer were 25 cents. It was every Tuesday or Wednesday, And the first game, the second game, because we would do total scores, like them against us, like they would be beating us. But then the last two or three, they were already, you know, (laughs) they were kind of intoxicated. Like we, that's when we would, you know, start winning, start taking over. It was always very um, competitive. It was very fun. We had that interaction with the football guys um, there. And just being in study hall, we would always be, you know, batting with them or if it was in the dorms, like we'd be, you know, talking with them too, or, or other athletes, um, whether it was, you know, you name it, it, it could have been the, you know, the girls soccer team, mm-hmm. the, um, the baseball team, the, the, you know, the guys on the baseball team, um, Matt LaPorta was, you know, was, um, uh, was there at the time too. And, uh, so we'd hang out, you know, just with different, uh, groups of athletes, um, the track athletes, like all that stuff. So, the, the the swimming team, like all oh, you know, we we you know, there was really good teams at that time. So um, you know, it was it was just a lot of good memories. But I I, I never forget the, you know, the we you know, we used to go bowling, you know, with you know with all those guys and it was always some battles. Um, you know, a lot of fun.
3: When it was just us, it was just hey, we would go head to head. But then there was times where some of the football guys like uh you know Jarvis Mars, uh Brandon Siler I think Chad Jackson and a couple of other guys, the Pouncey, I know the Pouncey twins were there a couple of times, uh, Jeff Dimps and I think uh, Chris Rainey. And, um, you know, it was competitive games. We would uh, have our lane, they would have their lane, and we would go whoever has the overall score would have to buy like a pitcher or something, and, and it was competitive, man. We would have competitive game. We'd be in there going crazy. Uh, but we would always prevail at the end of the day. We beat them all the time.
2: But how, <laughs> how how good were you guys? Is this like you beat him with, you know, like like one twenties, you beat him with two hundreds? No, we're not in the two hundred. We was beat we would, we would average
3: about one forty, like our scores were at least between one forty and one seventy. That's good. Yeah, it's solid. Yeah, it's solid. Oh, uh, it was fun. Um uh, yeah, the football guy we used to have
0: a bowling <laughs> a bowling night <laughs> which is fun. The football guys were cool. We had a good time with those guys and it's always good when, when you're both winning. Like it's like it's easy to be friends. I feel like when you're both winning this, Like I guess it would probably be a different if one if one was winning, and the other wasn't. How competitive? What when you guys would get together? I mean, how how competitive were you guys with with each other? Oh, uh, we was competitive. Oh, we're trying to win. That bowling match was that was that was the championship right there. You could talk you could talk crap for a whole week. I, I think we won most of the time. I could, my memory could be a little foggy,
2: but I'm always gonna go with us. While the alley showdowns provided an enjoyable distraction at times, the focus always came back to the pursuit of history on the hardwood. For Joe Kim Noah, that meant dealing with sky-high expectations that threatened to take the joy out of something he had always loved. The expectations were heavy, and there were times where it
5: wasn't fun, but I'm happy that, you know, I mean that I mean that's why you I'm sure you Coach Donovan it'll be interesting to hear what Coach Donovan has to say about it because he really helped me a lot, mm-hmm. you know. He helped me a lot because it was, it wasn't, the second year was, was hard for me. I remember one time I'm uh, missing a class and this Brandon Powell at the time, one of my teammates from Memphis, shout out Brandon Powell. He missed the class too. So we had, and I'm supposed to, I'm running with him and, you know, everybody knows that if I would have went the year before, I would have probably been, you know, a top pick. And I remember running the suicides with him. And we're dead, and it's like the, it's like you know we've been running for like an hour, and it's six at six a.m. And he goes, man, why why would you come back to this? Are you nuts? So that was kind of like that. It's that's kind of how the energy was, you know. It was, uh, but the, the brotherhood really helped me uh, get through that that part.
2: Here's head coach Billy Donovan. One of the things I think that really was. A
7: challenging was Joe Kim went through an evolution that was really from from a coaching perspective incredibly to be a part of because he went from this lightning rod everyone loved him to his his junior year the biggest villain mm-hmm. and he couldn't understand it and you know he starts to think should I have left I'm not having fun well what ended up starting to happen was as we were winning games we weren't winning by enough they had. Some false expectations. We should beat this team by 20, we win by six. And I could just tell and see like some of the joy coming out of it for these guys. So I told them, I'm like, listen, we're the ones that are in charge of our own happiness. And I said, every time we come in here, whether we play great or we play poorly and we win, we're going to celebrate in the locker room. We'll make corrections tomorrow, but for today, we're going to enjoy the work you guys put in. And I think that helped a little bit because when they would get down or frustrated, because I think, like, in talking to Joe, like, I really always, always admired his honesty and straightforwardness and never beating around the bush. He just would say, I, I, I feel like I got to score 25 points and grab 25 rebounds every game. I'm like, why? He says, to live up to all this stuff. And it was like, it was a great, great thing. The thing that impacted Joe the most that year, and, and he's such a incredibly smart guy with team dynamics, he went to his dad and talked to his dad about winning the French Open and what he learned from when the French Open, and how hard was it to win another major. And I think his dad shared with him that a lot of the joy of winning the French Open and being from France, that it became so overwhelming that he couldn't really enjoy playing tennis. There was so many people. And I think Joe idolized his dad and still does. But I think Joe you know, was used to walking in a restaurant in Paris and everybody's standing up and giving his dad a standing ovation and him being having people run down the streets and chase him. And I think Joe as a young kid watched this and he's like, wow, this is cool. But now that he got a taste of it, he realized that this is just another challenge in trying to stay focused on winning. And I think he learned a lot from his dad. And I think all those guys learned a lot from their dads based on their experiences. But you know, all those things that we went through in terms of getting prepared for that were things that I tried to do in the offseason. So most of the things that came up, we had talked about and we kind of addressed,
2: you know, as, as a team. As he rapidly became one of the most polarizing figures in college sports, Noah was subjected to constant harassment from fans anytime the Gators ventured outside the 3 5 the Honestly, the, the, that
5: part of it was, I I really, I enjoyed that part. I loved going on the road. And feeding off that energy and the that was actually kind of fun, you know. It was, I mean, we were we were still winning now. Like it wasn't like so. I, I would say, I mean, they weren't that creative. It was like, <laughs> oh, you're so ugly. You're so ugly. Noah cut your hair. It's like, you know, just like good one, good one, bro. It's just like the, the those arenas are so special, and then to be able to go in there when you're you got your you know, your crew, your guys, your team, you go in there, you feel like it's like you against the world. I mean, it's a, it's a leaving those arenas with a win is it's, it's a feeling that's hard to describe,
2: you know, according to senior Lee Humphrey, the heat Noah face was reminiscent of what he saw thrown at another big haired teammate.
4: That was a huge difference then the, from the first year to the second year. I mean, we had tough environments on the road, but you didn't feel it at the same intensity as you did our second year. I mean, it was a little bit like when Matt Walsh played. He really got it on the road as well. I mean, fans went after him pretty hard. And then Joe, Joe Kim was at, was at another level.
2: As for how the endless barrage of insults affected their leader, well, that depends on who you ask.
0: Uh, we harassed him every day, so it was normal. <laughs> it was normal. That was, like, that's what we did. We all, we were always making fun of each other, joking with each other. So what other people said didn't bother us. It wasn't anything we we hadn't heard. Basically Joe, Joe had heard everything. They stayed on Joe. So yeah, I think it motivated them more than anything. I, I felt like they probably should if they would have left him alone, because <laughs> it would have been better for the opposing teams. Cause when Joe gets going, he gets going and it's, it's a long night for everybody.
3: It definitely gets you, like, he, for sure. He used to have like big zits on his face during the season. And we were like, "Joe, Yo, you stressed, bro." <laughs> like he was have like he had like a planet sized zit on his forehead, and he has like on his nose. Like he was breaking out. We was like, "Joe, Yo, you good? Like, what's going on?" <laughs> and no, he wasn't. He admitted like he was stressed. He was like worn out a little bit just by the you know opposing fans. Like they were attacking him personally. Like his mom. Like it was bad. So I think that kind of worn, that wore down on him. But, like you know, we was all there to pick him up, Coach Donovan, Coach Brent. And, um, you know, he had a good support system. So he got through it we got him through it. And, you know, that just shows you how strong-minded Joe is, too, to, you know, deal with all that, have all that pressure, you know, have everybody coming at him, but still go out there and perform, you know, at that high level and produce.
2: What's the most creative thing that opposing fans came up with to, to go after you guys or to go after Joe? Uh they would say he's pretty like a girl. <laughs> uh they
3: say he, he looks better than his mom or something like that. <laughs> um uh, they had stuff about the gap in his teeth. They had all uh, the po- they would
2: go after his ponytail. Um I mean at some point you guys there's probably a few things you thought were kind of funny, right? Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> sure. We were in warm ups giggling like hey, hey, look at that poster right there. <laughs> like yeah for sure we was like
3: you know we would have fun with it a little bit but we made sure we didn't like you know get on joe too much about it because you know it affected him a little bit as well
2: through all the daily ups and downs noah had to stay focused on the bigger picture and remember what it was all about it
5: was fun when we were winning and
2: and but even that it was
5: like even winning sometimes didn't feel like it was enough but that's all you realize now, as I'm, mean, you know, I'm 35 years old, and I'm, I'm still dealing with this. But it has to be about more than playing for that. It has to be first of all, you have to have your peace of mind. And what do you do it for? Because if it's for, if it's for the money, and then you know, that's that gets old. And then what? You know, if it's a, like, what are you playing for? And I, I always felt like I, I, used, I was playing for that kind of energy. And then I realized, you know, it was more about the the simple things like my family and playing for my family and making them proud and things like that, you know?
2: To a certain extent, all athletes have to develop a thick skin, but everyone has a breaking point. And Donovan felt they were on the verge of collectively reaching theirs in late January in Starkville. We played in one of the
7: Mississippi schools. I think it may have been Mississippi State. And the trainer comes in there and says to me, these guys are getting absolutely killed. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, the student section's out there, and they are just all over these guys. Joe Kim's yelling at people up in the stands. He said, like, these guys are totally distracted. These guys are in these guys' head. You know, I'm like, holy jeez. So after that game, I told them, I said, listen, from now on, we're never going out to warm up. Okay? I said, what we're going to do is we're going to go out with 20 minutes to go on the clock and we're going to make the whole student section have to sit there and nobody's coming out. But I said, only thing I'm asking you guys to do, I said, because the other team is going to be looking down at you guys. I said, when you guys come out, I want you to go through warm ups like it's the last five minutes of a close game. I want them to see you guys warming up with such focus that these other teams get totally concerned and nervous. So when I started to see some of this stuff, I realized that I didn't know if they always knew what they were walking into. You know, so they walk into a situation like that at Mississippi State, where they're getting blasted by the fans and it's becoming a distraction. How do we handle that?
4: So we showed up to the gym thirty minutes before tip off. Everyone was taped and ready to go. That's how we. That's how we would kind of break from. You know, Coach Don would say everyone taped and ready to go at blah 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 time. Taped and ready to go. Hint you know at this time so you know duke would tape us up at the hotel in his room we'd have our uniforms on we would go to the gym we would put our stuff in the locker room and then we would go on onto the court 30 minutes before the game get a few shots up everybody kind of does that's when you do your kind of own you do your own thing if you want to stretch or you want to shoot or you grab a partner or whatever and then we would come back out with like 12 minutes to go uh, for the official official warm up, and it was it was it was awesome because you you know you came in with this mindset. All right, we're here for a job, and we're here to silence the crowd, and we're here to win on somebody's home court. And there was no better feeling, I think, than than winning at somebody's home court.
2: The Gators slipped by the Bulldogs seventy sixty seven that night, and three days later they were at Auburn, where Billy Donovan had apparently already done some extremely early Halloween shopping. We we're playing Auburn, and he came
0: he came to the locker room. <laughs> And he um he was talking, he starts talking and he's like, What happens if the party gets too wild on campus? And we were like, What? What are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, What happens when the party gets too wild on campus? He was like, he goes out the room, <laughs> he comes back, and he's dressed in like a full like police SWAT <laughs> SWAT costume. He's like, They call the cops <laughs> and the cops <laughs> and the cops break the party up. And he gave everybody, like, a SWAT hat. We all had, like, SWAT hats. (laughs) And he was like, so he keeps talking, and he's like, so let's go break the party up. (laughs) So it was like, we were all hype. Like, it was corny, but it wasn't. Like, it was like, oh, man, like, let's go break the party up. So, like, yeah, all kind of little
7: gimmicks. Coach was good. He He was a great motivator. The other thing, too, is Auburn at the time of what, you know, Corey's talking about. They were playing really, really well, and they had kind of been a team that maybe over the last year or two wasn't really that great. Jeff Lebo was a terrific coach. They were playing great. And on a telecast, when I was watching the game, they said that there was a new sheriff in town, meaning the Auburn Tigers. So I put a, a cop uniform on with a cop hat. And I had a baton. <laughs> and I said, I said that they think this is going to be a party in here tonight. And I said, I want all you guys to make – I want all you guys to feel like we're the police. And we're shutting down the party. I said, you guys have been to a house party before, right? And the cops come in and shut down the music and everything. Everybody's got to go home and everybody's upset. I said, that's what I want us to do when we play on the road. We're shutting down the parties. <laughs> so I, I would just try to think of different stuff just to get – because they got engaged with that kind of stuff.
3: Uh, we were in Auburn, and he dressed up um, – I think it was Auburn. He dressed up in a cop uniform, pregame speech, and he said, all right we're coming to ruin their effing party or something. Break up this effing party. It was right. funny. He acted it out. We, it caught kind of us by surprise. Like, yo, what? But it got us, got us so juiced. And we went out there and won that game. Like, he just found – he was great at finding different ways to, to motivate us and keep us, like, not so tight. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just lose and, and just have fun with it. Like, he, if we saw him having fun with it, we was like, all right, let's go out, play serious, obviously, but let's have fun with it because we saw – our coach doing that.
2: Officer Donovan struck the perfect note that night as the Gators blew past the Tigers 91-66 and remained unbeaten in the SEC. That unblemished league record ultimately swelled to 11-0, returning the orange and blue to the number one spot in the country after wins over the likes of Tennessee and Kentucky, with the Wildcats being remarkably the only ranked team they played during the conference slate. A perfect 16-0 mark in the SEC was within reach. But the Gators had already clinched the SEC title and took their foot off the gas, dropping three of their next four, starting with a 13-point loss at Vanderbilt.
7: Well, you know, it was it was interesting because I was always trying to find, and one of the things that we took a skid on at the end of the year was we ended up losing a bunch of games there late, and and part of the problem was, and I was trying to explain this to them, and it was it was hard because they, they, I don't know if they could really fully gather and understand it, they won like 13 straight conference games, 12 in a row, and they had clinched an SEC championship. In their mind, there was nothing to play for. Like, okay, you know, so it was just like, I don't want to say they were going through the motions, but they thought they could show up and play. But there was nothing on the line anymore because they already clinched
4: a, an SEC outright championship. I think it happened when we locked up the SEC regular season because we were, we really just ran through the first part of the conference season. And I think had secured the regular season championship with four or five games to go, something like that. Uh, and I think we had a little bit of a lapse at that point in time and, and it really impacted our performance. We didn't play well. I mean, Vandy crushed us at Vandy. Tennessee really crushed us at Tennessee. Uh, I think we lost to someone else too, but I, I remember coming back to a dorm room and Brett Swanson was my roommate. And I was, we were sitting there talking, we're like, what happened to us? Like, we kind of forgot how <laughs> how, to, how to have fun and play well. I mean, we weren't the ball wasn't hopping like it heck, it normally was. The, the decisions weren't there. um Intensity wasn't quite at the same level. I wouldn't say we
0: doubted we could do it. I think it was, <laughs> it was a long year, man, because everybody was giving their best shot, and it was like okay, like we lost a couple games. They stormed the court. We our mentality was like okay, we lost, but like nobody's gonna beat us in the tournament, like. Okay, they got their when I think Florida State, I had mono. I was sick. Florida State beat us. They rushed the court. Vanderbilt got lucky. They beat us. They rushed the court. Like, it was like, it was just crazy what was going on. And because every time we lost, it was like the end of the world. To people. I felt like people thought they just, they won the championship. But it was just the regular season. Right. And I felt like for us, we kind of got bored. I think Coach kind of, he knew we were kind of getting bored, I guess you could say because it was just a long year, and everybody was giving us their best shot. But he kept coming up with different stuff, and he kept motivating us, and it ended up being fun. It was fun. It was it was
3: tough, but it, it was worth it. Everything they did, every time they did any tactic that they did to motivate us, it worked. And it, our losses, like our key losses, came at the end of the year. And I agree with Corey a little bit. Like, you know, it's kind of we got bored. Like, not necessarily bored, but just like, all right, like, let's, you know, we won to regular season or whatever you know let's get ready for the tournament you know so you know some of them games maybe we lost motivation a little bit and i'll say that's why the reason that we lost towards the end of the regular seasons both years but yeah i agree with cory like, we just we're looking kind of forward to you know the games that count like a tournament play because that's what that's what we
2: like while the group still had an inherent confidence they needed a kick of some kind to get everyone back on the same page That called for the kind of vocal leadership that generally came from Noah. But in this crucial case, Al Horford felt empowered to step to the proverbial mic. We played at
6: LSU, and we were at a point that we've lost a couple straight the same way. I think LSU, that was our third straight loss. LSU had um, Glenn Davis at the time, and before the game, we find out that he's not playing. So we're playing like a much lesser LSU team. Um, and we get out there and, you know, Joe Keen, by that time, he was like, a, you know, everywhere we were going, like fans were getting up for him and calling them names and different things mm-hmm. and making signs. And like, you know, that, that game was tough on us because I feel like the fans kind of got, got to us um, and got to mm-hmm. him particularly. And before that, like there was like a lot of things already starting to brew because, you know, we all knew that that was probably going to be our last year. We, like, we were, you know, pretty certain of it. And, um, you know, I think that our guys were starting to worry about, you know, the MBA and where's my stock and where am I going to be picked and, um, and, and what's going to happen and, and thinking a lot about the future. And I remember after the LSU game. Uh, Coach Donovan, like, just kind of set us. And he's like, what's going on? Like, I don't understand. Like, he he couldn't figure it out. And and that was one of the times that I just, you know, stepped up and I just, you know, I just said, like, listen, uh um you know, we need to stop worrying about, you know, for the future, things that we can't control, about the NBA, about the future, about whatever's going to happen. I, I really, you know, it was one of those conversations that I was just very, very to the point. And it was like an elephant in the room that was there. And nobody wanted to talk about it. And, um, and I guess that it kind of crept up in there. And once that got out of the way, I feel like that that was a turning point for us. And after that game, you know, I don't think we lost again.
2: The Gators scored a season low in that 66-56 loss at LSU. And to Mick Hubert, this late season drought carried some unmistakable deja vu from the year prior.
1: They had a similar uh, fate. Uh, in February, remember the, the first year they lost three in a row, they mm-hmm. lost two in a row in January. And then they lost three in a row in the late February. And a lot of people were thinking, Oh, oh, what's wrong with these guys? Well, they didn't lose three in a row, but they lost back to back to LSU and Tennessee again at the end of February. And, uh, we'd lost three out of four because Vanderbilt had beat us a game or two before that. So we had actually d- did not lose three in a row, but we, we did lose three out of four. There was no, it, it, there was no sense of panic. It's amazing how they had street cred now. There was no sense of panic at all. Those guys, they, they, after they lost that Tennessee game, wouldn't you know it, at the end of February, snapped that little two-game s- slide. When March came around again for the second time, they never lost again. They knew when it was time to really put it in gear. I mean, they they could find that extra gear. And that's not to say they would coast it at anywhere along the line. It's just that, you know, this is what we came back for. You remember there, there was a big thing about, you know, are they going to come back? Yeah, mm. we're coming back. We're coming back, baby. Remember that? Yeah. So yeah, came back. And so they realized, hey, we came back. And now what we came back for is upon us. It's March.
3: That's what, that was, what was special about our team. Like we can flip that switch easy. If we knew we had to lock in and it was a that we knew we had to lock in, we locked in. Like no, no excuses. And we ended up handling business.
2: The Gators finished the regular season 26 and 5 after a dominant home win against Kentucky on Senior Day, which most recognized was probably the last time they'd see the O4s on their home court. But March meant taking their game to another level, and as Mick Hubert notes, an opportunity to do what ultimately made them tick at the highest level.
1: Uh, and now we have Lee Humphrey working with us on our radio network broadcast and Lee talks about this a lot, how much they love to compete against one another, and against somebody who is really the true opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say that in that regard because they looked at everything as their opponent. For example, they would get on the bus to go to shoot around, and nobody was ever late. Nobody was ever late, is best of my memory. And what do you mean by late? Well, you know, if, if the bus is leaving at 2.45, they're mostly all on that bus by 2.35. You know, if you get on that bus at 243, you're kind of late. Really? I thought we were leaving 245. Yeah, but you're the last one on the bus. So it didn't take them long to figure that out. And so they, the stars of the team were the leaders of the team, and they got on the bus first. And that, whether it was shoot-around or whether it was the game, I mean, they were ready to go. And and they competed every drill, as Leif Humphrey will tell me on the broadcast many times, every drill was a competition. I mean, in, in the gym, uh, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon, you know, in the middle of November, whether it was middle of October, whether it was the middle of March, they were they were competing. So they had that tremendous drive to succeed. And, and they were they were unselfish to a T in terms of the, the ball movement and where they passed it and where they knew what their strengths were. They played to their strengths. They loved to play the defensive end. And obviously when you got almost two seven-footers, you have a lot of uh, shot blocking ability mm-hmm. you have a pretty high shooting percentage because you're going to get to the rim and dunk it a lot and, the, and we were blessed because both Horford and Noel were excellent passers so we could pass from block to block down low we could pass from the top down low high low uh, and then when we got it inside they could score they could kick it out and we had tremendous shooters on the outside and Brewer was a tremendous driver who at 6 feet 9 could shoot the 3 and also could drive inside and dunk as, as Mark Wise would call him, he was Mr. Gadget. I mean, with his hands. I mean, he was unbelievable. I mean, he was all over the place. So they had the perfect makings, and he in a guy like Chris Richard off the bench, who you know, with his size and his strength, and and he had a great ability to uh, to score and rebound. And everybody kind of knew what their role was, and they didn't mind being so-called role players. They 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 knew how they all fit together, and that's a great tribute to Billy Donovan and his coaching staff, is how they all they they had a tremendous buy-in. Of what they were doing, and uh, I was in many team meetings, in many many scouting reports. I was allowed to be in there. Uh, I would I would go back to the coach's room sometimes, and uh, you know, sometimes I'd feel a little funny in there. But they said, "Oh, hey, come on, sit down, sit down." I said, "No, no, it's not. Oh, sit down." So I, I I could be in there and watch them bounce ideas off one another. Now, admittedly, uh, half the time it was about basketball and half the time it was about other stuff. But we were we were having fun cutting up and, and, and watching tape and, and doing all kinds of things. And so uh, I could see the players carrying out the game plan and I, I watched the, the attention to detail and I could see what they were doing. And so they, they had a quick understand they were, they were they had good basketball iq i guess is what i'm saying is they uh, you don't have to explain it over and over and over and over again you explain to them once or twice boom they had it and they went out and executed it so it was a, it really was tremendous and that's why obviously you've never had a repeat champion since since those guys uh, you know gonna be 14 years or so and counting since they had a repeat national championship they really were one of the greatest college basketball
2: teams ever On next week's finale, the Gators enter March Madness on a collision course with both Destiny and multiple Final Four opponents out for revenge. Until then, I'm Adam Schiff, giving a special thanks to production assistant Eli Rosen and to all of you for tuning in to this latest installment of Gator Tales, Gator Greats.